Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Motivation Made Easy podcast. This episode is somewhat different than the previous episodes, although I've shared aspects of my story before, so that part is not fully different. But um, this, as you probably could tell by the title of the episode, is one where we're talking about some really vulnerable topics. And what to expect in this episode is me talking with my dear friend, Dr. Summer Lede, who I asked to support me in this episode with sharing my personal experience with miscarriage and the resultant grief. And the purpose of sharing this today or in this episode is really to, you know, share one woman's example and one woman being me, uh, someone with a lot of privileges um, that we talk about in this episode as one example of one of the ways where I see weight being overfocused on in healthcare and how harmful and potentially damaging it could be. And so we talk a little bit about, we don't go in depth about some of the stats about miscarriage and how weight is often discussed in this arena of health, um, but we do touch on that. And we talk about how correlation is different from causation and why this statement, I I share with you in this episode uh, an example of that that I think um, is pretty illustrative of what that statement means, because I think we hear that a lot. Correlations does not imply causation. Maybe you've heard that before, but you never really knew what it meant. But I, I think this example that I share hopefully will help you understand that um, it's not that weight doesn't matter and should never be discussed in healthcare. That's not what we're saying, but we are saying that um, the way weight is typically approached in healthcare settings is very shaming and damaging. And, um, you know, I think this episode you know, maybe for you, if you're a woman who's been in this vulnerable state of trying to conceive or you think you might be in that state one day, that this episode could be for you in that case. I think it also could be for you if you're just wanting to 
understand and have some empathy for someone else's experience. And I do share my story in this episode, but I don't feel like this episode is about me. I do strongly believe that it is about what I learned going through the immense pain and grief and how I got the privilege of going through this immense pain and grief without the additional layers of weight bias and body shame that can be placed on women in our, in our healthcare system. Um, and so we talk about just why it's important to empower yourself with this information and what you need to know to empower yourself or loved ones as you move towards taking great care of your body, particularly during what I found to be the most vulnerable time of my life thus far, um, which is trying to conceive and have a family that um, we had wanted to have. And so, um, yeah, this is, uh, like I said, I I recruited a a friend to talk me through and ask me some of the questions and just kind of, it was easier to talk this through in a conversational way versus being talking to the abyss of my computer. So that's why I did that. And I'm really glad that I did that because it was a lot easier to talk through with, with my dear friend Summer. So I hope you find this episode helpful. Um, I think, I think we make some important points and I think we hopefully illustrate these topics in a way that you hadn't considered before. So, um, without further ado, let's dive in and thank you for being here. Do you ever worry that you're wasting your life? I definitely did. In fact, I wrote that in my journal many years ago when I was in the middle of the diet binge roller coaster ride. I woke up every day thinking about food, my body, and what I would eat that day to quote-unquote be healthy. The notebooks I had filled with calories and points could fill up a spare bedroom. Social events and vacations immediately prompted the thought they will notice I've gained weight or I need to lose weight by then. Deep down, I knew I wasn't living life the way I wanted to, but I didn't know how to pull myself out of it. If this is you, I want you to imagine what it would feel like to feel empowered in your body and proud of your choices on a consistent basis. I promise you this is possible and it isn't too late. You see, dieting steals our motivation. It makes us ineffective and lose faith in ourselves. It keeps us spinning our wheels in a system that was never built to work. If you're ready to take that first step to motivating yourself with what matters to you, download my Cultivate Powerful Motivation Guide which is quite beautifully designed if I say so myself, and walk through the simple three steps to cultivate motivation that works for you in 15 minutes or less. You'll get a simple formula to write one sentence at the end that you can use to motivate yourself on a daily basis. You can write this sentence on your bathroom mirror, put it on the background of your phone, or just read it and repeat it in your mind consistently. Look, I know how much it hurts to live a life worrying that you're missing out, not stepping into the person that you were truly meant to be. You can listen to the podcast all day, but taking that first step, putting pen to paper or typing on your phone, is required for true lasting change. It's time to start living, my friend. So it's 100% free. What are you waiting for? Grab your free guide today at drhondorp.com forward slash motivate. That's drhondor dot com forward slash motivate. And before we dive into today's episode, 
Just a reminder that this podcast and corresponding blog are for informational and educational purposes only and should not ever be construed as any form of professional advice. If you are struggling in any of these areas or trying to figure out how this applies to your specific situation, always consult a professional for guidance. All right, let's dive in. All right, so welcome back to a very uh, special episode of the Motivation Made Easy podcast that may or may not ever air. So we're um, we're here today. I'm here with Dr. Summer Lede, my really good, what I call, so I have a term called internet friend um, that my other friend who is not an internet friend, she had a bunch of internet friends and she'd always <laughs> talk about her internet friends and I'd be like, that's hilarious. So Summer's my internet friend. Um, that is a very close friend now. So what I've done today for this special episode is asked Summer to come on and help me share this very personal, vulnerable story and topic that kind of felt somewhat compelled to share for a while, um, but am very hesitant to do so at the same time. So as I often say, we all need support. So I asked my friend for support in helping to share this episode, if you kind of could tell by the title, um, is about some of my personal experiences with miscarriage. Really the purpose of this episode is to talk through some of the the problems in healthcare with focus, over-focusing on weight, um, using my, some of my experiences, just one example of one woman's experience. So I'm nervous to talk about it. That's why I brought my friend on. Um, but there is a point to this and we're going to be talking through some of that experience, but also why I'm choosing to share this on the podcast. So thank you, Summer, for being here with me today. I am I can't say I'm like as happy to be here as I will be when I interview you, but um, I'm still, I'm, I'm grateful to have you here with me and have this opportunity to share in a, a story that hopefully will be positively impactful for other women. I'm so, so like honored that you've thought of me when you thought of sharing something so personal and vulnerable. I really am. I'm about to cry already. I'm <laughs> such a sap. It's ridiculous. <laughs> That's okay. I love it. It's, uh, it's yeah. good. I, if you cry, then I'll probably cry too, but then I won't feel alone. So it's all good. That's right. <laughs> no, but it, like for those of you who don't know Dr. Hond or personally, like she's such an authentic, kind, loving spirit and the beginning of our friendship was because she reached out to me and has like embraced <laughs> me with long arms ever since and made me feel like I belong when it's easy to feel like a three-headed monster in a new community. So I will forever <laughs> love and respect our friendship because of how warm and welcoming you've always been to me. So I truly am. I respect you so much as a human, as a friend, as a doctor, and I'm so proud of you because I know this moment has taken a lot of courage to get to and even feel an ambivalence as we sit together now, you know, so I am so, and I'm so truly, I'm so honored that you considered me when you said, okay, I think I'll go there and share this because, and why you want to show up because you truly care about supporting women and their health. And it's something you value and you're going to do it even though it's hard. So it's such a privilege and an honor to, to be able to walk through this journey with you. And I've never heard this journey either in detail. So I will be hearing it along with listeners for the first time. 
Yeah. Yeah. So if you're ready, Sean, when like, as you're ready, I mean, you can just sort of begin by, by telling us your personal story of, of loss and what your journey has, has been like. Okay. Yes. This is, um, this is why as listeners can tell, this is why I brought you because it makes me emboldened to say, yeah, I can, I can do this. So, so yeah, I, um, like I said, I, in some ways didn't really want to tell this story. And this is not, I'm just not sharing the hesitation to share is not because of feeling ashamed or fearful of judgment. But even though I process this pain a lot, it is still intensely painful when you think about it in like this focused way. Um, and, and the reason, and yet I feel sort of compelled to, and the reason for this is despite the immense pain about our miscarriage, I had the privilege of going through this pain without any additional stress or shame related to body or even weight bias, medical information or professionals kind of implying directly or indirectly that this might somehow be my fault or, or could have been prevented if I'd just been healthier in quote unquote. (laughs) So to start, I will just say that, um, we, this story, I mean, we are still so incredibly lucky. Um, and so I just think that's important to say this. Um, I had my daughter first without the miscarriage happened between the pregnancies. Um, I wanted to have a baby and I got to have one. Um, and I was someone who knew the miscarriage stats, like, I just am a stats person. So like, I was very nervous about miscarriage always. Um, and I was very nervous the first 12 weeks of my pregnancy with my daughter. And I know there's nothing like magically about this 12 weeks, but I was able to relax a bit more after that, which was nice. Um, but yeah, I've always been a numbers girl. And so, um, but luckily I was able to have my daughter and everything went well there. Um, and when it came time to try again for a second kid, my uh, good friend actually was also recently pregnant or was already recently pregnant when um, we started trying for a second. So kind of had the sense of like, if I get pregnant soon, she and I could be pregnant together, have kids of similar ages. And so I was really excited, but also anxious, kind of felt like pressure, which is, we know, never really helpful. But um, I, I also believe that like the trying to conceive phase um, is like the most vulnerable time of at least of my life. But yeah, so my, my friend was pregnant. Um, and early on, we were also planning to try it around that same time. And I get the sense that I was too. So I was really excited. I was like, Oh, this is gonna be awesome. Right. Unfortunately, what happened first, and I know some of you have some experience with this. Um, I was at work. I got a text from that friend who um, shared that she had to go to the emergency department. Something was wrong. And so I was texting with her to kind of help her not feel alone. And unfortunately, she ended up having a miscarriage um, at that time. So this is actually, I, I thought I was pregnant. I don't believe I knew if I was yet. I don't think it was even time to test yet. So I actually went over, brought some pad thai to her house. And I actually didn't test before then because I almost didn't want to know and have to hide this thing from my friend, even though I wouldn't, didn't need to hide it, but I felt like I did. And so I, I was pregnant 
And I was obviously excited, but I also, that excitement was very much clouded by fear, um, sense of guilt. It was my friend's first pregnancy. Like I already had a kid. I'm already lucky. Like, did I really get to be this lucky again? Like I was just going to like get to have this, this experience. And again, and so I kind of went into like the similar mode that I went into with the first pregnancy, like distract yourself, put your head down, like try to just get through, um, try to avoid people because I love beer and it's very obvious if you offer me a beer and I say no. <laughs> so it's really hard to hide when you're a beer drinker because people will be like, why are you drinking that mixed drink? Like I'd go out, I went out to friends with friends and I was like, I'm having a, lem- a hard lemonade. And I'm like, there's nothing in that lemonade. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> You're like, so, you're like, you're so busted. <laughs> I know. And it's like the worst time ever because you're anxious. Oh, those 12 weeks are just, and I, um, as you know, you can tell where the story is going. I went through that. I got the privilege of going through that 12 weeks three times instead of, um, and it just feels incredibly long. So, um, so I went I did in, not realize Sean that the beginning of your second pregnancy had a, your, your best friend had a loss too. I don't, I don't know that we've ever discussed that because as you know, that was the same thing that happened to me that triggered so much despair and anxiety. So that's mm-hmm. pretty wild that that's yet another thing that we have in common. Yeah. Add it to the list for you right. and I, I know but the second pregnancy, you went all the way to 12 weeks. Um, no, well, no, I, I guess I shouldn't have said 12 weeks here, but I went until, so basically, um, I went to an ultrasound at six weeks. Um, I actually didn't really mean to, but I was in for a nurse visit and they're like, Hey, the ultrasound machine is free. If you want to do, they wanted to do an early dating ultrasound because I had wanted to have a vaginal birth after cesarean section. So they really like to get a nice, solid date. Um, I think it was a little early to get the date, but I was there. So I did a ultrasound at six weeks and, um, I thought it had gone fine. So it was like, um, went in left. And then I got a call, um, soon after that, where they were kind of concerned. They said it might be nothing, but maybe wasn't quite as big as they would have thought. And they're like, maybe you're earlier than you thought, like, maybe you don't know you're dating. And I'm like, no, I know my stuff. Like that's feels wrong. And there was also a hematoma, which can be nothing, but sometimes it isn't nothing. (laughs) Sometimes it, um, so they just saw some, like, I believe it's just like pocketing of blood. Um, but I wasn't experiencing any, any bleeding, but so they wanted me to do HCG tests and then to see what's going on and then come back in two weeks. So that's, terrible thing to hear. Um, and, and I think that that was really tough because, you know, there I'm talking typically to like medical assistants, um, I, or maybe nurses, um, on the phone, but it was very poorly explained, like very confusing. Um, I had no idea. I mean, I think they also don't know, but I just, it, it was, you know, who knows? I'm sure maybe they didn't do anything wrong. I'm not really sure, but either way it was conveyed in a way that I was like, what is this really a concern? So anyway, you're doing this like two week wait and it was pretty excruciating because the HCG tests weren't fully conclusive. It was going up, but like, was it enough? 
who knows, right? It was sort of this, like, we don't know. Um, so you went to the first ultrasound. They, you left thinking everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And then they call you, like an assistant calls you and it's just like, wait up, everything's not fine. And then you start going through all the, these extra tests and all where, that are not conclusive. Yeah, like you go, yep, exactly. I was, I was actually at pelvic floor physical therapy um, and I went, it was in the parking lot and I got that call and I was like, I like my pelvic floor physical therapist at that time, um, very nice person, but she was like, hadn't seen me in a while. And I just like bawled at that visit and she was like, whoa, (laughs) but, um, I mean, she was kind about it, but she was just like, you're having intense reactions. It was different pelvic floor physical therapist than I had in the future. So was it fear then that was leading you to ball when you got that like call? It was fear. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, cause it, it could have been fine with fear and uncertainty. It wasn't, I mean, maybe a little bit of grief. It's a good question. Um, but mostly fear like this, this really might not be fine. And, um, and I can't remember at that point if I think I still had hope, right? Like, I think based on what I was hearing, like the hematomas can be very completely normal and part of a healthy pregnancy and the HGG was going up somewhat, but I did feel pretty weird about the growth that did worry me because I was just very sure of when the date dating had happened. So yeah, quite concerned. I think anytime anything happens in early, anytime in pregnancy, you always like assume the worst your brain can't not. Definitely. Um, Yeah. And you're saying concerned, but it sounds like you were actually terrified if you were bawling at the physical therapist's office. Yeah, for sure. That's completely accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. So yeah, they basically had to wait until this, you know, next ultrasound. Um, and, and basically at that eight week ultrasound immediately, I knew, um, that it was not good based on the ultrasound tech. And then they have someone to come in and talk to you. Um, cause they can't like tell you, but I was like, I know my husband was with me and he was like hopeful until it was a nurse practitioner came in and shared. And, uh, that was obviously completely devastating. Um, did not feel real. And you're like trying to make sense of it. And I actually don't remember a lot about that visit um, at this point, except I was crying throughout and I was asking questions. Um, Basically at that point, it was what we call a missed miscarriage. So um, no bleeding, right? Like I just, and it's pretty, I've heard it's somewhat rare type of miscarriage, um, but it, I don't know. I don't think it, I don't know how rare it is. And we'll talk about the stats in a second here, but, um, then you have this choice to make, um, you can do expectant management, which means do nothing and wait for a miscarriage to happen on its own. You can do, um, take, uh, gosh, well, I'm forgetting the name of the med, but you can take a med that, um, has it happen, uh, speeds up the process, or you can do a DNC dilation and cutterage, um, surgery, um, which is pretty non-invasive surgery. So then you have to decide this decision. So a lot of that visit was trying to figure out what we were going to do for that decision. Um, and so they make I, you, are they encourage you to decide right there after they share this traumatizing news? Is that how it <laughs> unfolds? 
yeah, I mean, you could like schedule the DNC right there, or you could get them had right away, or you can do ex I mean, they kind of make you decide <clears throat> what you want to do as of now, but you can always change your mind. Um, you know, like, so what I did was decide to try to do expectant management to hope that it would happen naturally. Um, but I could not, uh, I eventually had a DNC because it was, the uncertainty was really challenging and, um, yeah, I eventually did that, but it was really challenging to get good like medical information and answers and data about this because everyone just tells you like, it just depends. Like, and I was like, I, I want to know, like in within, if I wait a week, what are the odds that uh, this will happen naturally? And if I let it happen naturally, what are the odds I'll eventually need a DNC? And they really can't tell you that. And I'm sure some of that is just like we don't have good data but it was really frustrating for me um and i had switched practices but this physician was switching again um to a different practice and so i just i didn't have any uh provider that i had any relationship with which was also really hard i had seen this my new physician for a vbac consult before getting pregnant um once and then she was like on vacation um so eventually talking about like privilege, I had my friend, um, her sister was a physician. So she talked to me a little bit, but then I ended up texting this because she had given me a call. I forget once for some reason, I think she had given me a call about during this two weeks. Um, and I had her number and I have good boundaries, but I ended up like texting her and just being like, I don't feel like I'm getting accurate information. The internet actually tells you like all these risks of a DNC and, like scarring and like influencing, which I, and she was like, I've not heard of any of that. So I knew what I called her and she like called me on her vacation from Florida. <laughs> Cause I was like, I'm so desperate for like help in this moment. Um, so, you know, I was able to get the information that I felt like I needed. I was able to have the DNC procedure without complication. Um, and, you know, we were able to go on and like have my son. So he's called a rainbow baby. Um, and so, yeah, I'm sort of like rushing through this part because yeah. I mean, actually, like, I will say that like, it's not that it's hard to talk about, but it's not, I think sometimes when you're talking through the medical details, you're like just relaying facts. Right. And like the experiences, um, but obviously, on the one hand, yes, like it is facts, but on the other hand, I can see like, you're kind of skipping over the parts that feel the hardest emotionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you're like focused on relaying the facts. And also that period of time was awful, but then, then you actually have to like start grieving. It's actually weird. Cause you start to grieve, but then you're waiting and you're trying to decide what to do. And, and then the grief happens after, um, in, in many ways, like you start to grieve and it was, I mean, it was, it was awful. Like I, I have a lot of, I did a lot of like writing on my phone during that time period. Um, a lot of like writing <laughs> to the baby and like, it was just not, not good. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I don't want to like jump past it too much, but this, this story is not just about like this pain, like obviously like there's this isn't like a miscarriage related podcast there those are, exist I listen to them during that time to some extent to not feel alone but it's this weird balance where you're like 
you want to talk in process, but you don't. And like, I don't know. It's just, and it was like, I was lucky because I had a lot of friends who had gone through it, who were like willing to talk to me, but I don't know, like it helps, but it's just this very weird, very weird time period. And you don't really, I definitely shared with a good amount of people. And I, and since that time I've shared openly, but it's easier, I think, to share after you've been able to like have the family you want to have. So I I don't know how that would feel not having that experience. Um, But I definitely, I definitely have no issues sharing it now, um, especially just like the facts like that doesn't bother me, but um, the pain is still obviously there. And I, I think it always will be, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think this, I'm sharing this now and I, I did waffle a little bit um, as I shared with you about like how much detail to share, but I think it's important to reflect on some things about this experience because I'm someone who has a lot of privilege. Well, obviously listeners know I'm a white woman and I like to refer to like body size privilege to size privilege. Um, I just like that term because I think it's just descriptive. And I also have a lot of privilege in like healthcare access. And I still got kind of bounced around. I had a hard time getting accurate information. Um, And I got, I think the most important thing that I, why I felt compelled to share here is like, I got to experience this pain without any added stress or guilt of feeling like my body size, eating, movement habits had any role to play. Um, Because of my body size, this has never been implied like directly or indirectly. And I know very well that like, if there was any indication by anyone or anything I had read that I somehow would have been at fault here. Like I would have held on to some blame for myself and had a harder time moving through the grief because obviously the grief was really hard to move through. But as far as I remember, you know, we think about like complicated grief for things that make the grief experience harder. Um, I don't think I had any of that. I think it was just immense pain of like, this just is really incredibly painful, but I didn't have any extra layers. At least again, sometimes you like, but I've read through my notes at that time. Like, I think I was just really immensely sad. And I think that that grief is hard enough to work through. You think about the example of like losing a loved one, like that's hard enough to work through that grief without any complicated factors of like, I think there's always like coulda, shoulda, woulda with like a loved one, just cause like, you're like, I should have spent more time, but like without any complicated factors of like blaming yourself for something that happened or something you did or didn't do that. And it's like, I just think women, we are so prone to doing that. Um, I know, and actually I talked a few episodes ago with Anique Besso about her miscarriage experience a little bit. And she was saying it's a, a privilege to be able to go through the pregnancy experience without having this added like layer. Um, but also, yeah, like f- for her, she was like, there's, there was even a little bit of like, was I too stressed with work? And did this cause that? Right. So if our brain has anything we're going to hook to, like that thinks we could have caused it, like we're going to do that. And I, yeah. And to be clear, I don't, 
I hope, <laughs> and that I know we talked a little bit about this before we hit record, like I don't expect that there's a lot of like obstetricians or women's health offices that are telling women that this is their fault. I don't think that's occurring hopefully much at all. At all. I wouldn't be surprised if occasionally that's occurring in, or at least accidentally like been communicated in a way that gives that message. But I do know that there's so many stories of weight bias and medicine, healthcare in general, definitely women's health. Like I've heard immense amount of stories of people who, let's say like their, for example, like their BMI is over 30 and then the nurse is like urgent. Like we got to get you in right away for your glucose test and like treating them as if there's some big risk of gestational diabetes um, and making them feel really bad and then making them do more invasive tests, like the longer test right away versus the one hour test. And it's like, these stories happen all the time. And so this me sharing the miscarriage story is really just one example of an, one person's experience with healthcare and how right. it's hard enough by itself. <laughs> like it's hard enough at baseline. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're saying going through the miscarriage is one of the, if not the hardest thing you've ever been through in your life without mm-hmm. these added layers of shame and weight bias. And so you're kind of wanting to be here right now to just be like, dang, I can't even imagine how hard it would be to have this extra layer of distress, like going from this clean pain, as we call it in psychology to like Mm -hmm. this, this pain that's layered with other suffering. We throw fuel on the fire with other types of suffering, but in this case, it's not self-imposed. It's implicitly imposed by outside sources, not always explicitly, but implicitly. Mm -hmm. Oh, you need to go for this extra test. Oh, we're high risk. So women, are smart. They understand what's being implied and what, mm-hmm. what weight is added to us, you know, if throughout your pregnancy, people have been implying that there's something wrong with your body. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure you've heard some stories like this too, of just like, um, even at all body sizes, there is this like many offices weigh you throughout your pregnancy. And they're like, better be careful. Like you gain three pounds this week. And it's like, this is ridiculous. Like and conversely, if you're not gaining a lot, they're like, good job. So that's also implicitly implying that you're broken. If you're putting on weight as you grow a baby, you know, I I can remember weeks both ways in both of my pregnancies where it was like, Oh, good job. Or, Oh, gotta watch. And certainly I got a handful of patients who, um, have been told not to try to conceive until they lost weight. I've had that for sure. Um, oh yeah. So I'll be interested to hear about your perspective on all of that stuff and the research related to all of that, because that's certainly, it's usually implicit in terms of like, once a person is pregnant, like I haven't had a patient say the doctor told me I had a loss because of my size, but mm-hmm. it's more like they know that they're quote unquote high risk because of their size. Yeah. yeah, because of all the lifetime of of messages, even before trying to conceive, but even during that time, yes, I've heard a lot of um, being told you need to lose weight before, and that is that. not good medical advice. And we'll talk a little bit about like we're we're basically the overfocus on weight to not to oversimplify, but it's always almost always distracting from potential root cause if there is a root cause and there may not be, (laughs) but like, it's, it's not the way we approach weight loss is most likely going to increase stress and 
like probably possibly reduce um, ovulation and things like that. So the episode I did with uh, Joanna Pastelnik, we can link here, but that was specifically talking about PCOS, but like how this idea of like, even with or without PCOS, this idea of like improving fertility, weight loss to improve fertility is not evidence-based. If, if there is a root cause related to like insulin resistance or something, we want to give information about how we can improve that, but we don't have to focus on changing body size to improve things like insulin resistance. And that's just one example. And, um, that's probably the, when I, I did a little digging, I'll say that if we talk a little bit about the research next here, like I'm not obviously a physician, I, I can interpret research, but I didn't do like an exhaustive lit search on this, but at the same time, that's our broad. And I did recently also interview uh, a physician about broadly weight bias and healthcare and why the focus on weight is problematic, not specific to this topic. But so these messages I, I've gotten confirmed by physicians. Um, but but yeah, like it's it's just not um, even if we even if we did have some causal link between weight and fertility risk or miscarriage, which we don't. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about the problem with like correlation does not imply causation. That is like the main message here. Um, but even if we did have cause, we don't have good interventions to help people lose weight and keep it off safely without uh, collateral damage. And so again, there's a lot of reasons why that advice is problematic, but, um, one major one is you know, biologically it doesn't make sense, but psychologically it does a lot of harm. Um, and, and like you said, it kind of gets that message that something's wrong with my body sticks with people. And it's definitely, and just carrying shame in your body has such a effect on your nervous system. So you can imagine all the fallout that comes from carrying shame in your body. Like yes. that, that could obviously be even more harmful than any you know, underlying actual medical problem that could be addressed. Like if we could let go of the shame and actually mm-hmm. focus on the root cause, then we might be able to make some headway. But the yes. focus on weight is so strongly associated with shame. I mean, we've all, as therapists, we've all seen, and personally as women, we've experienced it. It's like, no matter what body size you're in, you've most felt shame around our body at some point in our life. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've seen it with our clients, regardless of size, but I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it's much harder for somebody who doesn't have the privilege of being in a typical body size. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine how hard it would be to go through pregnancy loss with the additional layer of shame about body size and how many times it's slid under the radar, little insults about how you're screwing up your life or messing up your body or you're the cause for not having a family. And I'm I'm so, I think that is the reason that we're here right now. It's like, you really want to combat these myths with facts. Yeah, I definitely want to give you a chance to do that. I mean, Mm -hmm. how can you share with us more about the research and about like what you mentioned about correlation versus causation and kind of take us through, you know, the real deal data as far as you understand it at this current juncture? Yeah, absolutely. So um, to explain the correlation does not imply causation. This applies to like so many things in, um, healthcare and weight bias and the problems with folks on weight loss. But I like, I don't, I can't remember exactly where I first saw this example, but so my apologies for not giving that person credit, but 
My favorite example of this correlation does not imply causation um, concept is the idea of like people that wake up with a headache, like for example, like a hangover, right? Have a higher risk of having slept with their shoes on, right? So we don't assume that wearing shoes to bed causes a headache. There is a confounding or third variable here that in this case, we kind of know what it is, right? Like that right. people falling asleep <laughs> with shoes on are more likely to have consumed a lot of alcohol. And that's probably what's causing their headache, right? Um, so this third variable is, you know, this, in this case, it explains the correlation pretty completely. Like we're pretty sure we know why they have a headache in the morning, um, which isn't, you know, I guess if they were like wearing really tight shoes or something, maybe that could also <laughs> cause it. But, like, but to your point, that would be the exception rather than, you know, what's typically the cause. So it mm-hmm. is, that is the distinction between correlation versus causation. It's, it's not, maybe there's times where it is the cause, but most typically it's just a side note about what's occurring. Exactly. One exactly. piece of the whole puzzle. Right. I mean, I've never heard that example. That's really helpful. Yeah. I figured I would share that because it kind of like makes it concrete and like, I can, I'm just picturing that, right. That person like, Mm -hmm. don't sleep with your shoes on ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. It's going to hurt your head. (laughs) Oh wait, did I get that wrong? (laughs) I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) not quite, but um, yeah, I mean like there's so many, I hope that people can take that message. It's not. And I think some people it's just a it's kind of confusing because I think we've been given so many messages about like weight loss is healthy and weight gain is bad and weight is causing your health problems. And it's this, um, this is really, again, just one example, but there's still a lot of misconceptions about miscarriage itself. So I did find one study in 2013 of men and women found that 15% of respondents said that they or their party partner had had at least one miscarriage. However, 55% of respondents believe that miscarriage occurred in less than 5% of all pregnancies. So essentially, like, we perceive it as being this pretty rare thing when really, in that survey, 15% had, and then another, um, another larger study suggested that like it's miscarriage is the most common complication of pregnancy in the U.S. It occurs in 15 to 20 percent of all clinically recognized pregnancies, um, higher probably in non-clinically recognized, meaning people didn't know they were pregnant um, and that happened earlier. And most miscarriages, about 60 percent, are due to the presence of one or more extra chromosomes or the absence of one or more chromosomes. So this genetic abnormality, it's completely random. Um, it is not, um, you know, there's no cause that the person happened. It just happens. There, there are several studies that note a correlation between weight and miscarriage. Um, but as I kind of put myself in someone else's shoes, if they were trying to navigate this research, I made me really sad that most of the online articles use wording that indicates a causal relationship when the data just doesn't support that. And it, part of it is they use language like increased risk. And to me, increased risk suggests that weight is causing the increased risk. And at least your brain would be easy to hook to that. I will say that if you Google it, there's some stuff that does say like, it's not caused by it. Or like, there's some that kind of disputes it. So there's mixed, but again, like if there's some indication of this, like causal relationship, I do believe that your brain would like hook to that. Right. And so 
And it hundred percent because the thing, when women are searching, they truly are searching and seeking. And it's so easy to, it's such a personal experience to be pregnant. So it's so easy to attach anything you find to it being your somehow your fault. So it's so important to have conversations like this that help to undermine that message that just as we were saying is so implicitly spread throughout the country, even though it may not be explicitly spread. Exactly. Yes. And, and I think also too, if we not just talking about miscarriage, but like general fertility or pregnancy outcomes, like it's tempting to sort of have this thing, like weight is controllable and it's, you know, largely not, but we think it's controllable. It's this thing that we can take control of and we can feel good about like taking control of my health. But then again, we over-focus on it, cause stress and we like kind of backfire in terms of what's actually the problem, if that makes sense. And so there's almost this allure. And that's why I think the weight loss and diet industry is so profitable because not only are we bombarded with like this, you know, being in a smaller body will give you all these benefits socially privileges. You'll be happy. You'll find a partner, all these things, but also, you know, it's going to give you what you want in other ways if you want to have like a family and things like that and again it's just leads people down this like this path of of shame but I guess I just wanted to make that point that there can be sort of this like feeling of like control that it it gives um in a in a situation where there's I mean certainly um actually I kind of forgot to say this but I know for me going through the miscarriage these sense of like I feel like it shattered my illusion of control that I have that I had in my life and meaning like I sort of convinced myself that I got this like I got this thing called life I'm doing what I can and and it just shattered that and um and I know for some people that is the allure of like focusing on weight loss it's like something I can't control 100% re- resonate with that so deeply yeah that's so true and so important to say Yeah. So So if there is a woman who is going through loss right now and is in a bigger body and feeling shameful, like what, what message do you hope she takes from hearing this today? Like, what do you want her to leave with from this episode? I think number one, this is not your fault. And hopefully moving forward, if, you know, I think most women that I talk to, they're like, I want to you know, after the loss, try again, right? I hope that they're able to find people, healthcare providers, um, people that get it, that really will help empower them with accurate information to say like, what what do we have control over here? And, and maybe the answer is nothing. <laughs> maybe the answer is we don't have, you're doing all the things and like, we just have to, like this may just, be something we cannot control, but are there things that we have control over? And, and that's going to be case by case, right? And and that's where like you have to have more healthcare providers that understand that like healthcare providers are not trained fully in understanding how much weight is over focused on in every training program that I've ever known. <laughs> um, you know, nutrition, healthcare, psychology, certainly like I was never taught any of this stuff in grad school. And so and so physicians aren't trained on the psychological impact of shame. You know, right. there's, yeah. so it's like, it's a double whammy. So to your point, yeah, I think I agree wholeheartedly that all women, but especially women who don't have the privilege of size, like, well, all women, let me just say all women, we need to find healthcare providers that we actually like and trust 
-hmm. You know, it's like, I, I have noticed, I don't know about you, but I've noticed so many women feel so committed to their doctor. Like they would be cheating on their doctor. If they switch doctors, their shame, even associated with being with considering switching doctors. Really? I had this conversation yeah. with my sister, like, you know, you don't owe that doctor anything. Like you can mm -hmm. ask them to send your records and go try another doctor. I doctor shop personally. Like I, I shop until I find a doctor I like and trust like, but that's mm -hmm. been a process and a, a process of growth for me, you know? And I see yeah. so many women feel so their shame. It's just crazy that how many layers of shame can come up inside of us as we navigate something so sacred and personal and vulnerable. And we need support that we actually like and trust and respect and feel supported by. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, um, I'm with you. Like I've never had, um, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work to try to find a, another provider. And, and I think sometimes like I've been like, I won't, but if it's, if it's really important to me, like I'm with you, but I, I definitely have talked to a lot of people that, um, and, and maybe less so like it, for these people that I'm thinking of, maybe, maybe it was a little bit of shame, but I think a lot of it was like not feeling hopeful that they will find someone better. So it's kind of like, what's the point? Like this person's not that bad. Like, I think a lot of people that I talk to is like, well, they're not that weight biased compared to others. Right. Like they kind of, they mostly just talk about health behaviors and it's like, Right. It's like, it is tough because the reality is that it is really hard to find. Definitely. So my thing and is still, like, share, share this, share the podcast with them. And maybe some doctors I think are very open to learning. So like, mm -hmm. but, but still it's like, it's, it's just too bad that like our training, it's really our training programs, our systems that are letting people down. It's not the doctors themselves, but like it, it's ends up really hurting people, particularly women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think most physicians and healthcare providers are very altruistic and well-intentioned. It's just, um, you know, I think there's also that level of um, women still going into the doctor's office and seeing the doctor as the ultimate expert and feeling like they can't even like have an opinion about anything that is said. They can't even have questions. They can't take too much time. They must be a quote unquote good patient. And even that is just another layer of everything we're talking about, whether it's shame or feeling hopeless or feeling confused or just feeling like you have to be an acceptance of something that's not actually serving you. Yeah. Oh, it's just so complicated. And, right. And like that exists baseline. And then if you think about like that with weight bias or like someone in a larger body, how they are going to by default often feel even more un. um, unable to like have these conversations because not you're making yourself more vulnerable because, um, there's like, you're already struggling with this idea of not internalizing this weight bias and shame. And so to have someone medical kind of question that it's like, even if that doesn't occur, the risk of it, it it's like, I'm not even going to bring this up because they might tell me just lose weight or tell me it's my fault or tell me something that's so painful. I don't feel like there is like self-protective. It makes sense that you wouldn't do that. And yet 100%. sometimes we don't get that, that answer that we need. And I, I mean, yeah, I could go, that's a whole nother podcast of like just stories that I've heard of like things that people have been told by doctors. I'm like, Oh, but so yeah, true. Yeah. The things that sometimes we need the most support with we don't want to touch with a 10-foot pole because it's too painful to experience mm -hmm. insensitive comments that a person well-intended might you know yes yeah exactly say. and it's like like you've said like doctors are well-intended and most are 
highly trained and compassionate people. And still it can be, it can be difficult to navigate. I mean, yeah, I would say like that the things that I want everyone to know who's listening, you know, miscarriage or pregnancy loss is really, really common across all body sizes. I didn't specifically, I looked a little bit at data comparing like the effect, if there is like some correlation there, there is some correlation, but like you were saying, like internalized shame or like the impact of that could be a part of it. There's other third variables that could be involved too, but the effect also is very small. And so, um, it's just a common experience. Most likely if you've had that experience, it's, it's not your fault regardless, but most likely it's just random. Um, and we have no data that suggests that weight is the cause. Um, and even if we did focusing on weight loss very often just causes more problems than good. And there's ways that you can work with, um, finding root causes, but we do need more weight inclusive healthcare providers that understand this. Um, and really working to find a great healthcare team, or at least, like I said, um, I think people are open to learning. So even just like sharing, you know, this podcast, or I actually have another really good podcast that we can link that breaks down this even more so why the correlation equals causation, why it's, it's problematic. Um, Cause I think when people see the data, they, it does make sense. Um, so, but I, I guess, yeah, main message is like, if you are struggling with infertility, pregnant loss, infant loss, miscarriages, like we see you, I see you like this. I mean, it's, it's just, it's like you said, it's the most painful thing that I've ever gone through. Um, and you know, you're not alone. I think we know that now I think more people are open, which is good. I, but yet it still feels really isolating in many ways. Um, and so I hope that you, you reach out. I hope that you don't let yourself go through this experience fully alone. I hope you let people in and, uh, know it's not your fault. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And do you, what do you suggest to people who are looking for weight inclusive providers? Have you like, what is your strategy with that these days? Well, so there is like a health at every size website that has a directory, but I, it's not up to date, but you could look there. Um, like I haven't, it's not a great place. I mean, like I would look, honestly, I've started to look more so myself. I would search like health at every size, intuitive eating, weight inclusive, and like the name of the provider and see if anything comes up into Google. But until we have like a better, more updated database. That's what I, I got for now. Yeah. But okay. I think there, the good thing is they're like, I think people doing this work um, are trying to do it in a way that they can reach more people. So, but it is tough. Cause like a lot of this, we do need someone to like be your specific provider. Right. And that is, you need someone in your state to do that. So that's really right. And the continuity is so important. And it's, I mean, that sounds like one of the more painful pieces of your story is that there was no continuity. So there was no trust and there was no true, like compassion and empathy established and no person you could go to for accurate information and data that wasn't biased. And yes, that would be hopefully over time, there'll be a way to get continuity of care with people we like and trust who are weight inclusive providers. 
Yes. Yeah. And I guess the other thing I will say is that there are a lot of weight inclusive dietitians or health at every size dietitians, and they often can practice across state lines. And some of them will have some background where they can, they don't, they typically don't run labs, although some do, but they will be able to suggest labs. Again, this is more for like, how do we address root cause if there might be one? And a lot of times there isn't, right? But um, I just wanted to mention that because I think that's one other thing. If people are like, what do I do um, to feel like I'm taking the control of the things that I can? That is one thing. And I think that there's a lot more access there. So that one is, um, I'm always, I have several people that I could recommend in that area, which is nice. So at least we have that. Yeah. Very good. Thank you so much for Thank you. being willing to share this story with me. And I can't imagine the positive, like, I feel like, like you said, before we started, if you just impact positively one person's life, who's going through this, then it's worth you putting yourself out there and being vulnerable to share this. And I yeah. imagine if there's anybody who hears this, who's going through pregnancy loss, I did not know that 60% of miscarriage was you know, I forget how you, how you worded it, but just, yeah, just it, I think the word is anaploidy. I didn't say it because I didn't want to pronounce it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's such an important statistic that I think most women, including doctors don't know, you know, that mm-hmm. seriously, most of the time, this stuff is completely outside of our control. So to feel guilty or shame or any sort of guilt about it is just not, there's just no data to support it. So that's yeah. good. I think that's really helpful. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. If you're anything like me, you may at times really feel like there's so much pain in the world that it's pretty overwhelming. And even though I do my best to avoid the news, it's hard to avoid feeling helpless at times that you can't do anything to make positive change. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's one positive change that I've made in terms of where I buy my books, and I'd invite you to do the same. Bookshop is a website that supports local bookstores near you, as well as affiliates that work with them. So if you buy through the bookshop link, you're going to be supporting local bookstores near you in the U.S. and Canada, and you're going to be supporting my blog and podcast. It's kind of like a tip jar. Did you know that if nothing slows their momentum, Amazon will have about 80% of the book market by the end of 2025? Look, I have Amazon Prime. I love the convenience, but this is a super cool way that you can do something positive with where you buy your books and support some really positive causes. Make sure you check it out. You can find all of my favorite books about health and wellness, but also about topics like courage, vulnerability, and even some of my favorite fiction and kids books for the times when you just need some fun, downtime, or some meaningful stories. My recent favorite is related to improving the quality of our lives and the way we use technology and really doing so from a value-based place. No pressure. It's not going to tell you that technology is bad. It's just going to help you to evaluate for you where the pros outweigh the cons and where they don't. So if you believe in supporting local, controlling the things that you can, please consider buying your books through Bookshop and through the Psychology of Wellness link. You can find that in the show notes or you can go to drshawnhondorp.com. That's D-R-S-H-A-W-N-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash bookshop. Thank you for tuning in today. 
Your time is valuable, and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard, and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.